God, the God of the universe. We praise his name and we are just happy and excited to be here today. Let's please go together to to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, hallowed be your great and amazing name. As we look to the heavens and see the stars, we forever will be amazed at the fact that you've numbered each one of them and given them all a name. And that you know every star that falls from the heavens and every bird that falls from the sky, every hair follicle that falls from our head and the ones that remain. Oh God, help us please in our relationship to you, to be humble and meek, to surrender our lives to you, and to honor you in all things. And this morning as we worship you, we pray that our worship will and has been pleasing and acceptable in your sight and in accordance to your will and your way. Thank you for Jesus, your great son who died so willingly on that cruel cross of Calvary. Thank you for your love, your mercy, your grace, for your compassion, for your kindness. In Jesus' holy and precious name, we pray these things to be thy will. Amen. Genesis chapter 11 is where we will pretty much spend the uh, majority of our lesson uh, today. And give me, if you will, a few uh, opportunities to present this, this lesson and this uh, idea with you over a couple of Sundays. The Tower of Babel. After the great flood, uh, men began to multiply upon the face of the earth and they, and they settled in a place uh, called Shinar or Shinar. They were united in many ways. They were united in, in both in good and evil. We're going to look at the, the idea, the theme of this lesson uh, thought, and, these, and the lesson to follow within the Tower of the Babel is unity. Unity, both good and, and bad. I want to look at this idea of unity and look at the powerful force of unity when people are driven together towards a common goal. It takes direction. They were all going east perfectly. Uh, well, verse 1 and verse 2. Now the whole earth used the same language and the same words. And it came about as they journeyed east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, or Shinar, and settled there. They all decided to go. God didn't tell them to go. They decided to go. They had effective communication I assume they enjoyed each other's company, but they effectively communicated with one another, which is very important to sustain healthy relationships. They all spoke the same language. They made a plan and they executed their plan to a T. Look at verse 4. And they said, Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. Let us make for ourselves a name, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. They didn't want to be divided. They wanted to stay together. So in their vision, everyone knew what to do. They knew how to do it. And they all worked together. The vision How can we build a tower or something that allows us to stay together forever? 
Hmm. Imagination. Who imagined the tower? <laughs> they, they saw the big picture. The, the big picture. This is what we're going to do. Their imagination was huge. It was great. And they believed in themselves. And they believed that they could accomplish this great goal that they had in their minds. God created humans to have dominion over uh, the face of the earth. And God also gave us the ability to succeed. So they decided we're going to build this tower. To great exertion, right? Um, I don't know exactly uh, you know, everything about the tower, but I would assume in its beginning stages in the foundation that they had to go up and down and up and down. And they used all of their energy and strength to accomplish their feat. Verse 4 and verse 5 of chapter 11. And they said, come let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven and let us make for ourselves a name lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the son of men had built. How long had they been working on the project? Bible doesn't tell us. But long enough to get God's attention. And not only that, uh, long enough to construct both a city and a tower. This united effort, they were so determined to get this job done that they continued to go up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down. However long it took, they continued and continued and continued and continued. They were stubborn. Stubborn enough to get the job done in their minds, right? In spite of the pain. Look at verse 6. Verse 6 says, And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have the same language. And this is what they began to do. And now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Isn't that amazing that God would say that? And I want you to think about that for just a moment. That God himself said, because of their great unity, nothing they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Their contribution. They gave of their own strength. They gave of whatever, whatever it took to make this project work. They located and, and dedicated necessary materials to construct this particular city and this particular building of some sort. In verse 3, the text says, And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. They used brick for stone and they used tar for mortar. And they said, Come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven And let us make for ourselves a name, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Do you remember when Israel, when they were in Egyptian bondage and they had to make brick? Remember the effort that it took to take straw and mud and mix it together and and all the things that it took? It took a system. And they had a working system that allowed them to do the great work that they accomplished. It took insight. How important was that? They knew how to finish the job. They were winners. They had this desire within them not to give up. Do not quit. God himself said, nothing they purpose to do 
will be impossible for them because of their great unity. So my question is, why would God stop such a wonderful project? After all, it was a notable work. You might say, we don't know what it looked like. I mean, I know this is, there's an image up here, but we, you know, but the, the idea, the, the architectural wonder behind it going up and, I mean, just amazing to build this tower the way they did. Why would God stop this work? It shows the greatness of God. It, it shows the, the God-given talents and ability. Why would God stop such a great work? They were accomplishing such an amazing feat they were strong in their unity. Why would God stop the work? May I ask you a question? Are there wonderful in the mind of humanity, in the minds of humanity, are there wonderful works for God today in the minds of humanity? Are there wonderful churches? Are there wonderful this and that? Why would God stop something so wonderful that we humans have constructed in our own heart, in our own minds? I'll tell you why. Because this entire project was rebellion. I'm going to talk more about that, Lord willing, next week. The entire project was nothing more than a rebellious act against God. Oh, wonderful though in the minds of man. He go, wow, what, what an amazing feat. And yet God himself through rebellion says, even though they're being rebellious against me, because of their unity, nothing will be impossible for them. That says a lot, brethren. That says that if we work with the Lord, accomplishing his desire, and we walk with God, what could we do in our unity with God if they could do something like this without God? And that'll come a little later in this particular thought as well. You know what we're looking at? We are looking at the power of Satan literally on display. Because here's what Satan can do. Satan can take something that feels so good. What they say, we don't want to be separated we're going to stay together as one big family, regardless of what God says. It feels so good. It looks wonderful. Look at how great the plan is. Look, it's coming together, brethren. I mean, we've gotten God's attention. We have this huge city. It looks good. It feels good. He can persuade millions upon millions of people to actively get involved in a project that is completely in error. Think about when you turn the television on and you see the great thousands upon thousands of people who assemble together for a cause. Or the thousands upon thousands of people that you see assembled in a place of worship. And my question to you is, could that all be wrong? Although it feels so good. It looks wonderful. And yet millions upon millions and thousands upon thousands of people can be drawn into error and religious rebellion. You can have something that we call worship 
that feels great. I mean, you leave the building and you say, man, I feel good. And it seems so right. It is both spiritually and emotionally stimulating, fulfilling, satisfying, acceptable, and common, and yet be completely and totally in error. Could that be the same today? Yeah, it obviously is. God is showing us something in Genesis chapter 11. He's showing us that when humans put their minds together without God, yes, we can feel really good about what we're doing, but it doesn't make it right. And even though we're united in it and everyone's thinking the same way, it doesn't make it right. The entire project was rebellion. Proverbs chapter 14, please, and verse, verse 12. There, there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. I mean, it seemed wonderful. It seemed so right. Turn to Matthew chapter 7. It felt so good. How could something that feels so good and looks so right be so wrong? Some people say many things in our world today, questioning God and his motives. Why does God want us to do it this way? Why can't we do it our own way? Kind of gives us a really good and a better, should I say, a better understanding of what Jesus was talking about when he says in Matthew 7 and verse 21, when he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But God, these people were so good. They did so much in your name, God. How could you have a verse like this in the entire Bible? Because the second part of that scripture, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Because if it's not God's will, it doesn't matter how good it looks to us. It doesn't matter how great it feels. It doesn't matter how many people are there. It doesn't matter how united we are. It's complete rebellion. And God has never been pleased with rebellion. He goes on in verse 22. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not cast out demons in your name and perform many miracles in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. Ye who work iniquity. Now I get it. Turn back to Isaiah 55, please. Now I get it. When, when you think about the Tower of Babel and how great it was, the fact that they were not doing it in the name of God, they were trying to build a tower for themselves, a city for themselves. They were trying to build for themselves a name. God wasn't pleased with it. It wasn't God's will. Therefore, it wasn't God's project. And God scattered their language and scattered the people. Verse 8 of Isaiah 55. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. And my thoughts than your thoughts. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Let us never be deceived and to be believing that God brings confusion. 
For God is not the author of confusion. But here's what we know. The devil is a master at disguise. And he disguises things so well that we become deceived. And he can disguise an evil thing and make it look really good and feel good. And in our minds, be good and then cause humans to become angry at God. Because God didn't accept our work, our greatness. I had someone tell me just the other day, I was talking to him about the Bible, yesterday in fact, and he said, actually Friday, excuse me, another one. Um, and he said to me, I don't call myself a Christian any longer. He said, I don't, I don't do that. I, now I just say I'm just a believer and I just strive to do the will of God, but I'm not a Christian. Because Christianity, when you think of the word Christian, it has such a, a negative tone to it and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, well, what, what makes you think you can change what God said in order? See, if it's not good to us, then we think God has to change. And I remember growing up uh, hearing uh, someone say to me that, um, that God changes with time, you know. God changes with time. You know, he understands, you know, we're different now. We're, we're more innovative now. We're, we're, we're in the information age. So God has to change with time to keep up with us. Yeah, and I believed it. As a teenager. I said, really? Well, that kind of makes sense, I guess. That made more sin acceptable. For God is not the author of confusion, brethren, but of, of peace in all the churches in the world. God is the author of, of peace. Okay. Psalm, Psalm 127. God was opposed to this project. And it's interesting that throughout the entire project of Genesis chapters 10, in 11, chapter 10 being, if you will, uh, the, the genealogy of those who are constructing the building of, of this uh, particular tower and city. And they missed something. And this is really important. Verse 1, Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. You see, they forgot something. And that is that they are not in control. And they are not in charge. I wonder if we've ever forgotten that. Turn please to Luke chapter 14. I wonder if, if religious people have ever forgotten the thought that God is actually the one who's in control and in charge and not us. And we have forgotten to surrender ourselves, or our lives, our will over to him. I wonder if we have forgotten that in the idea of religion, right? The idea that we have put together such great teams of worship, worship centers now. Like what was the 50s? In the 50s, the daycare centers came along and, and, and you know, and that was a big boom. And now we have worship centers, etc., etc., etc. Sometimes I think as humans, we become a little too big for God. And like the Tower of Babel, God is going to have to continually chop us down for us to wake up. They forgot to do something. They forgot to count God. And all their counting 
and all their measurements and all that construction, they forgot to say, God, is this what you want us to do? God, is this your will, Lord? Verse 28. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it will begin to ridicule him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and take counsel whether he is strong enough with his 10,000 men to encounter the one coming against him with 20,000? Count the cost before you make a move. I wonder if they truly counted the cost. The obvious answer is no. They didn't consider God. You know what they didn't consider? People will choose something that feels so good, so great and so wonderful. It looks good over true worship. That's a human choice. You know, I know, maybe we're not doing it all right, but, but it felt so good. I was so happy to see this and be a part of this movement. Oftentimes, unfortunately, sadly enough, we forget to count our souls. It is God who is not the author of confusion, who demands that we worship him in spirit and in truth, According to his will. And we see the end result when you don't do it. The Tower of Babel is a great example of what God feels, what God will say, and what God will do when we're not doing his will. Psalm chapter 133. Their relationship with God was the one cost that they forgot to count. In building their tower. They enjoyed. They relished in the wrong kind of unity. So what I'm saying to you this morning is this. As we work on a united front. And work in a united way. And work on our unity. And love for each other as a congregation. And grow. Let us not grow improperly. Let us not unite in a negative way or in an ungodly way or in an unscriptural way. Well, let us unite in the way that God would have for us. And if they could do this, construct this tower in this city against the will of God, and if God himself could, would say, nothing's impossible for them because they're united. What could we do, church? Being united in the will of God, what could we do? In our little world that we live in. What could we do? Brother, I ask you and and beg you. Open your mind. Right? Allow God to show you what he wants you to see. Bring your your contribution. Your sort. Your your insight. Your support. Your motivation. Your desire. Your love. Your creativeness. Bring it all to the Lord. And let's see what God will do for us. Let's see what God will do with us. And let's work together together. 
to love each other. For they'll know you're Christians by your love. Let us work together to get to know each other. Let us work together to unite with each other. And let's do it with God. And watch what God will do for his kingdom. In verse 1. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head coming down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard coming down upon the edge of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountain of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forever. Precious oil flowing down Aaron's beard. Sounds kind of messy, doesn't it? But when you're in love with each other, we lose the idea of the physical and we gain the idea of the soul. This morning, if you're not a Christian, we invite you to surrender to God in the waters of baptism. Become a part of the united body of God. Surrender to Him and to His will. Having heard His word and believed it, having godly sorrow in your heart, repentance, being willing to make a confession that you believe Jesus is Lord, the Christ, the Son of the living God, being baptized, immersed in water for the remission of your sins. If you're a child of God and you're struggling in your faith, if there's something or anything that we can do, we might be able to pray with you or pray for you. Please make it known while together we stand and sing our song of invitation, Why Don't You Come? Singing, no, not we're singing.